My name is Sister Prince, and today is March 9th, 1990, and I'm interviewing Luther Mitchell um, about the wall of respect that was painted in the 1960s. This tape is being done for the Missouri Historical Society. Around the same time. Yes. Uh -huh. the same. Okay, Luther, I'd like to know a little bit about you first. Where were you born? Uh, I was, my place of birth was Fort Smith, Arkansas. Uh -huh. I grew up in Chicago. I was taken there when I was a small child. Uh, uh, my father was brought to um, a government hospital in Missouri. So we came through here and went to Chicago and I was raised in Chicago. I came back here uh, in 1965 because my, grand, uh, my uncle, who I had gone to high school, when I had gone to high school here at Sumner High School, uh, I came back here because my uncle died. And my aunt asked me to stay with her because she was alone at the time. Uh, what year were you born? 1922. 1922. Uh, what was the, how did you get involved, in, I'm sorry, how did you get involved in um, civil rights? Well, that's a long story. That goes back to after World War, World War II actually mm -hmm. got me involved in civil rights. I could not understand how six million Jews were killed in Germany. I, I was drafted as 20 years of age and so on. So this always bothered me throughout the entire war. So when I got out of the war, I started reading all the uh, information I could about philosophies, about uh, fascism, about all of the various things that were taking place in the world, trying to learn, and that's how I became involved. Uh, then I began to find that there were organizations in this country who uh, were concerned about some of the issues, you know, uh, uh, the issues of employment, the issues of housing, all of the various different kinds of issues that faced. Uh, not only the black community, but other various parts of the community. So um, then I became more and more uh, interested in something that I had learned when I was in elementary school and high school in, in Chicago. In elementary school in Chicago, I had a, uh, I went to an integrated school, so-called integrated school. It had white and black kids and it had white and black teachers. Uh, I had a teacher named Miss O'Ball who started discussing the races of man. And she raised the question that uh, uh, what the various different people in the classroom, this person over here is uh, Irish American, this one over here is Italian American, and she came to me and she said, this is a Negro. So I couldn't understand what the meaning of Negro meant at that time because uh, all of the other people were identified with the country. See, so I asked her, where was Negro land? See, so she said, well, Negro means black and Spanish. I said, but I'm not Spanish. And so that started me to thinking as a kid. Then I started going to a library called the Hall Branch Library, which is still on 48th and Michigan in, um, in Chicago. Uh, I didn't know this at the time, but there were many great people there. Uh, blacks who became famous. Uh, Richard Wright was there, a uh, whole bunch of different uh, writers and artists and so on. Uh, as a result of that, I was exposed to some extent to a lot of things that were going on. There was a Southside Community Arts Center down the street from where I lived. 
3806 Michigan. Uh, I got a chance to meet a whole lot of black artists that became famous. They came out of the WPA mm -hmm. uh, school. But one of the things about the government during that time, during the 30s, is that they provided an opportunity for artists to go to school and learn their craft. And they later became some of the great writers and artists of, of our time. Black artists. Black artists. Who would probably never have gotten an opportunity. See, there was, I had no thought of the possibility of going to college myself. You know, I, if I graduated from high school, that would have been about as much as I expected. What changed that was World War II. World War II provided us with um, uh, schooling on the GI Bill. You were in an all-black unit. Oh, yes. Uh, that was another uh, problem that always bothered me throughout. When I first got drafted into the Army, I was taken to Fort Custer, Michigan. And uh, when we got off the train late at night after not having anything to eat practically all day, uh, there was a, a big uh, uh, restaurant, well, not a restaurant, but a mess hall right in front of us. And you could see the food on the table and everything. So we all got off the train. We started for this mess hall, and they said, no. You can't, they put MPs in front of you, so you can't go there. You, you have to go down the road so many, so, well, it's about a half a mile down the road. There was another section of the camp. Uh, that's my rude awakening to the fact that it was a completely segregated army and that I couldn't eat in a white mess hall. Okay, so all of these things together, I guess if I were to write my life story, I'd have to go back to when I was born and in Fort Smith, Arkansas, and things that happened when I was a kid, like going up the uh, outside of the theater to the second floor to the balcony uh, in order to see the movies. Uh, segregated schools, of course. And uh, it was, uh, what was interesting about our town and segregated school, the black school, which was a, I, from what, what I can remember, was an excellent school and a fine building and everything was only a half a block from my house. Now, I, there were whites that lived in that same neighborhood. There was one thing about the South, you could live in the same neighborhood, but you couldn't go to the same place. So, uh, now they had to be bused. The white kids had to be bused across town to a white school. I could walk to school a half a block from my house. And we had, a, and it was a very good school, so they could have benefited in my mind from from having gone to that same school. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's the kind of segregated situation. Even down, as I said, to the army. Uh, then when I got out the service and came back, of course, segregation was still uh, rampant. When I came down to St. Louis here uh, to visit my aunt and uncle, I remember wanting to go to see a movie called Covatis. And I uh, went down, it was on, playing at a movie theater down on Washington Street. So I got in line, there was a line of people there. And then a crowd gathered on the opposite side of the street. So, you know, I looked to see, wonder what they were looking at, you know. It wasn't until I got up to the window that I realized that they were looking at me. Because the uh, ticket tellers, uh, taker said to me, uh, or the cashier, uh, we can't sell you a ticket. And when I, then I suddenly realized that the, the difference between Chicago and St. Louis, you see, you could go downtown to the movies yeah. at the Oriental and the State and Lake Theaters uh, there, but you couldn't do that in St. Louis. 
And so when I turned away to come back, all the people on the other side of the street left. Because they wanted to see if I was going to be the first one to be admitted into that. Uh, now, were they black and white or just white? Mostly blacks. Mostly blacks. Uh, wanted to see uh, if I was going to be the first one, the first black admitted into that. Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of issues, even when I was all along throughout my life, you know, I've been touched with all of these various different issues and question marks about what to do about it. When I was about 12 or 13 years old, 7th or 8th grade uh, elementary school, I got to thinking seriously what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, I realized even then that what the things that I wanted to do uh, was going to be very difficult for me because I did feel that I might have to have a lot of education, a lot of training, and a lot of uh, college. Since there didn't seem to be, it was going to be very difficult for me to find a way to go to college. Uh, in fact, it was almost impossible. Uh, and uh, so back during that time when I began to think about those things, I, first I thought about what do I really need? And I realized that I needed a lot of education, a lot of training. Okay, then uh, the question is, why did I need that? I needed it for two reasons. One, in order to do, uh, make a contribution to life as a whole in terms of whatever field that I wanted to be working in. If I wanted to be medicine or whatever field I wanted to be in, I wanted to do what I could in that field. The other thing is I was going to have to fight racism at the same time I realized that, you know, when I was in elementary school. And uh, that was one of the things uh, when the teacher brought up this issue about races of man and so forth and so on. This, all these things accentuated that. We had some other little things that happened in the school. We had a white teacher who was a music teacher. And he uh, insisted upon doing a thing with our eighth grade class called the Darktown Strutters Ball. Um, the, t the parents of the black kids were very upset about this because it was sort of a caricature of the black community. And this was an uh, integrated school to some extent. And uh, so that was another issue. Uh, uh, Luther, who did you, who was in your family at this time? My father. See, how we happened to move from uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas to Chicago, and we first came to Missouri. The reason we came to Missouri is because my father took sick and had to go into a government hospital. He was in World War I, and he was gassed in the trenches in World War I, and he never really got over it. So he got worse and worse, and he had to go to a government hospital. Now, the closest one to treat him for what he had was in Excelsior Springs, Missouri. Is right outside of Kansas City. So we followed him to Kansas City, then to St. Louis, and then to Chicago. Uh, he got worse. He was getting worse, and there wasn't much that we could do for him. And, uh, so he stayed in the South. He, stayed, he stayed there, and he died. And he died in the hospital because he had gotten so bad until he couldn't see it first when we first went there he could come out on occasions and we could visit him and all so on but then that was another thing too i i realized uh, what my father had gone through in world war one mm -hmm. you know the racism because even then when he came back 
Oh, I know what, what took place right after that. There was an attempt after every one of these wars, there's been an attempt for blacks to uh, go for uh, uh, equality as a citizen in this country. So after World War One, you had the movement with Marcus Garvey, which tens of thousands of blacks throughout the country uh, joined. And uh, it's been said that he raised $10 million in two years, which was more than any organization had ever raised, which means that he was widely supported. And also he had a number of, of marches in New York City, large marches. So uh, uh, that failed, of course, mm -hmm. because during the 20s, uh, I was maybe six or seven years old, when Marcus Garvey was um, taken out of the country and put in jail and and so on. Did you have a role model? Did somebody motivate you? Well, my, I chose my role models. Mm -hmm. Of course, I, I had respect for my father, but I only knew him for a short period of time when I was very young. I do not have any bad remembrances of my father. All of them are good. Um, my grandfather by the way, in my neighborhood, everybody was a role model. In Fort Smith, Arkansas, when I was a little kid, everybody was a role model. The uh, principal of the school was a very intelligent black woman who, uh, who was really a top-flight educator. All of my teachers were good, good, good people. I, the things that I've learned, uh, and when I review my life, uh, I think of how I was taught as a kid, taught how to study. Mm -hmm. This becomes a lifelong yeah. thing in terms of learning to read, you know, as, as a young kid and all that. So uh, my grandfather, of course, worked, uh, had brothers who worked sort of, you might call them sort of uh, middle class in that area, you know, middle class as far as blacks were concerned. I don't know if the um, wages or the income that they had was equivalent to a white middle class, but it was good enough to be able to provide us with a nice home uh, in a n nice neighborhood. We were only four or five blocks from the center of town. We could walk from my house to the downtown area. And uh, this became choice property later but my grandparents, you spoke about uh, role models, my, my grandparents, uh, my family as a whole. Uh, and then as, I, as my father died and we got to Chicago and so on, and, and my uh, grandparents began to die off and so on, then I chose my own role models. Who were they? Uh, I chose role models like W.B. Du Bois. And, uh, see, I had then begun to go to the Hall Branch Library and read. And Paul Robinson was a, a great force uh, with me because I was fortunate enough to get a chance to see him. And he was such a magnetic, had such a magnetic personality. So, so also, uh, was there a motivating factor, a person that motivated you in life that you, besides these people that you admired, but was there somebody flesh and blood uh, well, you're saying, um, all I'm saying is that the people around me, see, I grew up in a neighborhood mm -hmm. 
where all of these people were talented. Uh -huh. See, and, I never and had they, any... And they, and they all urged you and helped I, you? I've never had any... Uh, uh, no, everybody... Uh, we yeah. all had our your, individual talents. Your environment. There was an environment, mm -hmm. you see. Uh, uh, I remember Red Fox mm -hmm. uh, used to uh, play with a tin can band on the corner of 58th and Prairie. And he used to win the amateur hour every night, mm -hmm. every week, once a week on Saturday at the uh, NRA Theater. That was, by the way, one of those Roosevelt Theaters, NRA National Recovery Administration. And uh, then uh, the Hansberries, uh, you know, they came from, the father was in real estate. See, there was, we had friends um, who were, you know, we had friends who were whose fathers and mothers were were doctors, lawyers, and so on. And uh, our, we had no reason to believe that any of us Could. couldn't achieve whatever we wanted to achieve. Okay, now you came to St. Louis in sixty five, nineteen sixty five, from Chicago. Yes. And um, so, who was Luther Mitchell at that moment? Well, uh, the gap between uh, World War II and uh, and uh, 65, uh, you know, during that period of time, I had been involved in a lot of civil rights movements in Chicago. In Chicago, we had uh, uh, tried to integrate the beaches. We had the same trouble about beaches in Chicago as you have in any place in the country. Uh, integrate neighborhoods, uh, public accommodation. Uh, uh, five and ten sister in the black community wouldn't hire blacks, you know. So we had all that cancer. So I had been involved in all those kind of things uh, up until 1965. Uh, then my uncle died here. Mm -hmm. Did you mind moving here? Was that okay? I've never had any problems. With no, no, moving. I meant because you were so involved in Chicago. Well, I miss my friends, I miss, and Chicago's only 300 miles from St. Louis. Uh, when I first came to St. Louis, I used to drive to Chicago every week. All right, now, um, you brought with you, I believe, the idea of having the wall of respect? Well, uh, one of the things that I had um, associated with in Chicago while I was there um, after World War II was the Southside Community Arts Center. Southside Community Arts Center was established by uh, black artists who had been in the WPA program and so on, and it was completely supported by the black community. Now, uh, one of the prominent people, a couple of prominent people in there was uh, a woman who is now called Margaret Goss Burroughs, who is the head of uh, the DuSable Museum in Chicago. Now, she was married at that time to a man named Bernard Goss. He was a top-flight uh, painter. Uh, what Bernard did, uh, I, he and I became friends, and he did postcards, uh, little greeting cards, and I would help him. Uh, he showed me how to do it because he was the artist and I was just learning. I was a young man. Uh, he would uh, do linoleum block prints you know, where you scoop out the linoleum and it's, it's like a negative right. and you lay it on the paper and so I would help him to do that and you'd print them out. 
So he would do Frederick Douglass and all of the uh, Sojourner Truth, uh, Harriet Tubman, all of the uh, blacks in history. He'd do these cards, and the inside he would put a little statement by each one of them. And you, you could use it for any kind of greeting that you wanted. So Bernard got me really involved in that. Then, uh, during the, um, after he died, the young people of that, uh, who were in that group, they were always, he had a philosophy that art belonged to the people, see. So he, when he made these little uh, cards, he made them so cheap that anybody could buy them, you know, a nickel or a dime or something like that. And uh, so then the younger people that came after him, after he died, they came up with even a better idea to make it free, mm -hmm. see. So they started painting on the sides of buildings and things and doing their art that way. Uh, and another thing that had happened up there was uh, there was a, a move I had gotten involved that there was a lot of things that we needed to be done, not only just to deal with being able to get inside, uh, go to places that we're not, we're not allowed in, but the question always arises, uh, uh, where are you going to get the money to buy? If you're allowed into uh, restaurants or whatever where you borrowed out of, in other words, you need to have an economic background. Uh, so the jobs were important, the business was important, and so on. Now, so in Chicago, see what I'm saying is you had this kind of movement, this kind of thinking in the Chicago area. The people, um, a printer, a black printer, started printing a book called a black book, which was a list of, uh, it was like a telephone book, but it was a list of all of the black businesses. He started doing that in the 60s. So this is before I came up here. So the, I had these two examples, number one, in Chicago, and that is a, a black artist making their art available to the general public free by painting on some uh, edifice uh, that could, that, where everyone could see it. So when I came here, um, I got involved in the civil rights movement here by accident. I applied for a job for a, uh, a company, one of a, a large company. I'll, I'll leave him nameless at this time. But this is a large uh, company that w uh, started out as a, um, a mail order house. And uh, uh, I had a background in electronics. I had gone to school on a GI Bill for electronics. So, I, and I had, by the way, when I moved here, I was working for Zenith. I was doing color television work on the final line for Zenith in Chicago. So when I came here, I had a good background in electronics, see, because I had worked, uh, I had owned an, uh, an association with two other people, a sales and service company with a Zenith franchise. I had taught electronics in a trade school, and I had worked at the Institute of Nuclear Studies. So with that background, I went to the State Employment Service downtown on Washington, and I. Uh, for a job. So they told me, well, you have such a wonderful background, I'm sure we'll be able to get you a job. But then they, uh, it came to be that uh, I eventually found out that all of those artists that the person had, most of them said no, no Negroes. I think they said no colored. <laughs> they used the word colored at that time. And so uh, 
the man, the person who was uh, counseling me decided that they would send me on one of these jobs. So they sent me to this mail on his house. And uh, they had a, um, uh, a repair department on Van de Venner. And so I went uh, there. I went and took a test. I took a test down on, I think it was on Locust Street or someplace. And uh, I passed the test. And of course, then they had to hire me. And when they found out what my ability was, they said, well, they were behind in their work. They needed a person, so they took me. But then they had a rule that was either 60 days or 90 days that you go into the, uh, into the union and you become a certified employee. Okay, so I worked up until that day, the last day. And then they called me in the office and told me that, see, they could have let you go at that time without giving a reason and you had no protection by law at that time. You know, there were no civil rights laws. There was none of these things, no protection at all. So when you, when, if you, if they decide to let you go within that 60-day uh, period or whatever it is, uh, then they could do it. But they let me work right on up to the last day because I was doing good work. <laughs> and they could use uh, my uh, ability to be able to turn out these uh, television sets and so on. And uh, so I was very upset about that. And I was looking for what could I do to, uh, to uh, stop this kind of thing from happening. So I found out there was an organization called Action. Somebody suggested to me this organization called Action, which Percy Green was the chairman of. So I went over there and explained my situation to him. At the, at the time, I didn't realize it but they were picketing a meat company across the street from this other company where I work. So he said, if I come and help him, these other people are in the same boat that I was in. So we all need to stick together and help one another. So then I went on the picket line with them about the, uh, the meat company who was having the same kind of problem that I was having. And uh, it was expected that we would possibly move over to this other company. What was very interesting about this at the time was that um, the people came outside and saw me walking on this picket line, and the place was only across the street. Uh -huh. And they was almost certain that we were really picketing them, uh -huh. you know, at first until they began to read the signs. But then they were pretty sure that we were gonna, they next. were going to be next. <laughs> See, so what I noticed was when I went back over there to keep in, I kept uh, an eye on them to see how they were doing. I went back over there and I found that they had hired two blacks. They had hired one, uh, they had a counter in front, a sales counter in front. They had hired one there and they had hired a woman as a typist in the office. So, uh, see, I used to go back over there around lunchtime and see, <laughs> see who was still working. And I still was friends with, with some of the other employees that were there. So anyway, that got me involved in action because then I began involved in the same way that I was in Chicago before I came uh, before I came down here. So it was the same kind of act. Now, uh, because I was interested in uh, history, uh, Percy suggested that, well, I, they put me up a, we formed a department of black history because we didn't have one before. 
So when they formed the Department of Black History, I uh, was made the chairman of that department. So I came up with a number of ideas that uh, was really spun out of the same philosophy that we uh, make uh, the knowledge of the history of the black community available to the total community. So the first thing that we did is we, um, we, 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 made, we developed a little paper and we also would, along with the paper, we would have a sheet of questions about black history. And we would, we had a route, just like a newspaper route, and we would pass out these throughout the city, see, in the black community primarily. And um, uh, then the next week, the answers would come out and a new set of questions. And so people were, we showed their tremendous interest in this. So then, such a, such a great interest in it, and by the way, I have a, I want to point something out to you here. I, do, I was just reading, I have this later, I could show it to you. There's an article that, uh, that I had kept where some uh, uh, black teachers in the school system here uh, did a, um, a black history seminar for the students at their school and they were they were fired and it took them a number of years before they, they through court before they were able to get their jobs back so I, I said that only to say the attitude about allowing blacks to learn their own history their own in their own history see we can learn Irish history Italian history we can learn every other kind of history but nobody wants you wanted at that time, and even the uh, colleges, if you go back to that period, uh, the 60s, uh, the colleges fought having black studies programs on, com on campuses. And uh, we, we had a very interesting uh, situation like that here at uh, uh, the junior college. Bring me to the wall of respect. Okay. Bring me to that. So what happened there is, um, we were looking for a place to do the Wall of Respect for, out of the uh, History uh, Department of, of Action. Everyone was enthusiastic about it. About doing it. it, yes. The question is where to put it. Mm -hmm. So uh, we got to discussing it and we came to a conclusion it wouldn't be right for Action to actually put up the wall. That we should get neighborhood people, a group of people together in the community and it would be a community developed project and that way people would develop an interest in it they would want to uh, uh, learn as much as they could about the people who would be on the uh, characters who were painted on the wall and also it would be an educational and it would they would protect the wall in other words it would not be vandalized or damaged or anything uh, and all the time that the wall was there as it was showed that this was a good um, uh, philosophy uh, it was only vandalized once or twice and we we believe that it was done by uh, people other than community people people who did not want to see the wall there who were not even community people see are you, are, do you mean that they were white or no I don't say that they were white I don't know what nationality they were, but they, they were not community people, and I, we, we believe that it had, they were inspired by uh, official people. Mm -hmm. 
who did not want the wall there. Because uh, originally, um, even the police saw this as a, a negative thing because it became a um, meeting place. Mm -hmm. uh, now, where did you, how did you just, how? So how, actually, the... Where did you, the find, which wall did you decide to put it on? Okay, let me, let me first say this. Um, the death of Malcolm X became the focal point. Malcolm was killed uh, on February the 21st, and that was the date that we set to, uh, there was to be a meeting of uh, community people um, to commemorate that date and to uh, begin to inspire the community along the lines of Malcolm's philosophy. And that was history was one of his big points. Uh, Developing programs for the youth was another uh, important point for Malcolm. So, uh, this is 1968. Yes, around 1968. And uh, Malcolm had been dead a few years then. Um, so we were to meet at the Tandy Center. Tandy Center, which is on, uh, it's right off of Kennerly, on Whittier. It's on Whittier, uh, about a block off of Kennerly. So, um, we, we met there, and about eight or nine people showed up. Uh, and everyone there was very disappointed with the turnout. The other part to it is that the doors were locked and we couldn't get in the center. So even if people had showed up, there was a mistake made in terms of... Uh, well, we, so we were standing outside on the steps. So this, was, I thought, was a perfect opportunity to get a group of people together because what they were concerned about was why didn't that many people show up for the, uh, it, was it because they, they did, did not, we had not done the things that Malcolm talked about. What Malcolm talked about was teaching people their own history so that they would learn respect for themselves, respect their community, and, and learn that their it would be an inspiration, a motivational tool. And I use that later in teaching, a uh, uh, motivational tool. Uh, black history is a motivational tool. And you can, we did that one time when I, we had a, a program with young people uh, who had flunked out of uh, uh, high, school. high school. And we set up a program with the state that if we, could, it was like a summer school. It was a summer school. It was done in, uh, in Massachusetts. Uh, it's called the Springfield Amherst Summer Academy. And uh, what I did in the program was that I felt that the kids who flunked were just as smart as the kids who passed. But what, there was something missing that caused them that they were not motivated. This is what I felt. So what I did is my class was first. Uh, this, these students were brought onto uh, the Amherst College campus, and they stayed there for a certain number of weeks. I think it was eight, eight weeks or something like that. And uh, my class was first, and what I did is I dealt with uh, black history. And I did a pre-test and a post-test. And, and I did it also with the teachers as well as the um, students. Now the teachers were college students to these high school students. Uh, out of the five college 
area there. And uh, they were, were uh, teachers in their particular field, like math or English and so on. What I did is I tried to motivate the kids to want to learn and show them a reason for learning and the fact that they were just as capable as anyone else and so on in my and then when they left my class they went on to the other classes and it turned out that they did well okay so bring this back to the wall okay so uh we saw the wall as being a motivational thing here you know in the same way uh and later uh, uh let me first uh how did we get it done the group of people there decided that there was a need to do this for motivational purposes and so on. And, uh, and also that if people learned more about their history, then they would uh, take more interest. So how did you, how did you, you had the small group of people. So what we did there is we agreed to, set, to, to, to construct a wall, mm -hmm. a wall of respect. We call it the St. Louis Wall of Respect because the purpose was to teach people to respect themselves and respect others. Which makes me really wonder why people didn't want us to do that. Why didn't people want us to respect ourselves and to respect other people? I never did quite understand that. Because uh, the people who tried to prevent us from uh, having this kind of thing, and even the school system who didn't want uh, this at first. Uh, this was done in the Banneker District when Sam Shepard was the head of the uh, Banneker District. And uh, he, saw, he saw it as a good idea. We had community meetings around it and so on. But anyway, what happened at that time is each one of us took a task. That one, say, um, two people's task was to find a location to put the wall. Mm -hmm. Another two, their purpose would be to get the artists together to... Uh, for the wall. Um, we had, each one of us took various different roles to, to, to uh, maybe two more, were, their purpose was to get equipment, you know, paint, uh, ladders, and various things. Uh, then we had several meetings in which we decided where the wall should be. This was all done um, democratically, where the whole group would come and meet and make a decision and vote on it. So we, cho we had a number of places in mind, but this one was chosen because it was at a V where uh, people come from downtown and they go out, uh, which is now called Martin Luther King, King. Uh, and they go, and there's Leffingwell and Franklin, and Franklin branches off. So right there, there's a V, and cars coming from downtown split off in two different directions, and it was a well-traveled place. So we chose that place. When you say we, the committee consisted of the committee yourself? consisted of about. Um, I'll you try to. Can you give some I'll try to remember all the people. Um, there was myself. There was. Um, um, Let's see, Leroy White, there was uh, a Cohen who is now called, uh, Charles Cohen, who is now called Reverend Cohen. Uh, there was a um, Chappelle, there was a fellow named Chappelle. Um, Chappelle. 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 Yeah. 
he was he was a um, a uh, actor, and he he also had been a, 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 a member of Action. Well, uh, this was. But it was it was about eight or nine people. Percy. Uh, no, Percy wasn't there. Let's see who was there. Um, so this was a separate committee. It was a committee. Uh -huh. um, um, there was a guy named Perry. Ivory. No, not Ivory Perry. There's another Perry. Uh, okay. Uh, now, um, each one of them came back and brought a um, location. We chose that location, as I mentioned before, because it was uh, uh, a, lo a lot of people, lot of people pa passed by there. Uh, what happened, of course, is that we uh, each committee did their job. They found uh, artists. They found uh, people in the community, even businesses, black businesses in the community, began to donate money when they found out what we were uh, up to do. And their, their money wasn't large amounts of money, but it was enough to buy the paint to pay for the, uh, to get, uh, they would loan us ladders and things like that so that everyone's, because they, we had to have a scaffold, see? And so all of the equipment and everything was raised just by funds and, and are else loaned to us by people in the community. Now, did the people whose wall you were going to paint this on, did they just donate? We had to, we, no, yes, we had to get permission. From, from them, from them to but paint on this wall, and they? and they guaranteed us that as long as the building was there, that wall would be there, and that guarantee held. Uh -huh. Because until they tore the wall, uh, the building down, the wall was still there. No money exchanged, just no giving it. To no, you. they owned the building. Yeah, they gave you the side of the building right. to paint on. Right, right. Um, it was a religious organization, and they. Their word was their bond, and they kept their word. How long did it take from the beginning of the actual painting to the end? Uh, it took a number of months because several things had to be done. One is they fir we first had to paint a background on the wall. Then we had to get everybody couldn't paint the, their picture at the same time. There's about 16 paintings on the wall. And so you had to wait maybe until some people finished. And then it dried. And then, uh, then some more paintings were done and so on. Who was in charge of the whole, you were in charge of the entire procedure? Uh, see, we didn't, that's another thing we did. We didn't make anybody in charge. Well, I, 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 w the questions I have, Luther, are somebody has to say, well, this is drying out, then this group can come in. The artist this, did that. Oh, I see. See, the artist, the, artist. the artists knew what they were, they were experts. Mm -hmm. By the way, the artists that we got. Do you have any of their names? Well, uh, Leroy White would have the, uh, the names of all the artists that painted on the wall. Mm -hmm. We have a list of them, and he's a good person to kind of, I always let the artist, see that's what we did at this point. We let everybody who was handling a certain thing take care of that thing. I see. Um, all right, so we talked about the time element. You said it took a few months because, all right. Um, right. How did you, who chose? And the, as we did that. Who chose the, 
Democrats. People who were going to be on the wall. Okay. That was a, a, a Democratic selection also. Okay. We, uh, we've got a picture here, and we're looking at it. And so, let's see, let's count. One, two, three, four. Is that five. five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, sixteen paintings. faces, and that, then there's a sign that says "Up, you mighty race." Yes, that's uh, that's right under Marcus Garvey, because that was his. Uh, it was decided by the group that this was sort of that's sort of representative of the wall. Of the purpose of the wall, right? Yeah, it to looks inspire like people. It, this is a copy of a, a picture. So, it, was this? What was the background color? Black. It was black. Okay, mm -hmm. and then. Uh, and the uh, it's, those are some beautiful color pictures. I'm I'm gonna try to find the uh, the actual color picture. Let's let's start and tell me who 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 is this? That's Malcolm X. That's. Okay. Now, what happens is different artists you see painted. Uh, the different paintings mm -hmm. um, and they had their own style mm -hmm. now notice that Malcolm's is sort of a um, a modernistic style mm -hmm. uh, you can see the outline and tell who he is but it isn't completely realistic the same way as uh, Dr. King is for instance who is this? Um, that's uh, a famous blind singer, uh, Ray Charles. Okay. Right. And this is. That's Rap Brown. And that's. Joe that's Lewis. no, that's um, Muhammad Ali. Oh, right. Looks like Joe Lewis, but he's Muhammad yes. Ali. But see, well, again, we're saying that the artists did their own conception. This is Stokely Carmichael. Well, that's Phyllis Wheatley. Okay. She's a great poet. That's Dick Gregory. That's Elijah Muhammad. That's Jomo Kenyatta. Yeah, he's an African. Yes. See again, this was Kenyatta. Is that he's see, yes. Yeah. Okay. He's he's uh, again. It's a. Um, uh, it was a democratic process, and the people submitted names, and we voted on it. So people. Everybody decided that there should be an Af African on there. Mm -hmm. You see, because this, we're of African descent, so there should be uh, a, a famous African who, again, was an inspirational person. And we said this was Marcus Garvey, Marcus Garvey. of Humanity Race. That's James Baldwin. Mm -hmm. Now that's Leroy Jones, who is now called Barada. Leroy Jones. That's Frederick Douglass, right. Martin Luther King, uh, W.B. Du Bois, and that's uh, Jean Baptiste Du Sable. He was a founder of Chicago. You've got a well-rounded group. By the way, Du Sable is buried, I'm told, in St. Charles in a, a Catholic cemetery. But he he set a uh, set up a trade. Uh, trading posts mm -hmm. at the mouth of the Chicago River that eventually became the city. So you have people of the arts, you have people in sports, you have people in civil rights, you sure. have people of, of letters. Right. Uh, but they were all sort of, well see it was a democratic thing. If, uh, for instance, if I were to uh, 
have as a as a black history chairman of action I would have used a specific uh, style in terms of, of choosing the characters mm -hmm. I would have chosen them from although we do have one one person here from around the revolutionary history period and we come right on up to the present day but I would have made sure that there were some people in every decade See, I would have done it uh, sort of systematically. Yes. But it was not done systematically. It was done... Uh, democratically. Democratically <laughs> and out of the love of the hearts of yes. the people who were involved. Everybody contributed, and so you had to let everybody have their say. I think it's uh, wonderful that the styles are different. That's right. And, and though this is not what I would call a terrific copy, you can tell that it's... Uh, uh, I'm going to try to get you fine. a color one. You, you'll see that these were excellent paintings. Uh -huh. I can see that. Yeah. As, as, uh, uh, another thing it did, it, it helped some of those artists probably got uh, jobs and so forth. As it, was. Mm -hmm. it, it not only showed, uh, was an inspirational thing in terms of the characters that were on the wall, but it also showed the talent of the present day uh, artists. I mean, you have much to be proud of there, and I would imagine that the people involved must have felt extremely. That's right. That's right. Good about. Yeah, we we all, everybody who was involved in it, feels felt good about it, and not only that, uh, schools started bringing their children there as a as an exhibit, and they let, would. Let me stop you though. Mm -hmm. I'm, we're still we're still painting it in my mind, and um, while it was going on. Did some people, did your group stay the same, or did people come in and go out, those who were... were no, mainly the group stayed the same, because of, uh, they were very much, uh, people didn't, some of the people, I think, really didn't realize how beautiful this was going to be, mm -hmm. and also, you know, the, the talent. Uh, well, you were one of the first. Now you see things painted on buildings, but this was not something sure. that people, sure, a lot of people visualized. Had, right. They, they saw it as being an important thing, but they did not see it as being as great and as beautiful and, and having the impact mm -hmm. on the whole city of St. Louis the way that it did. It had an impact on the whole. Which we will come to. Let me, let me ask you, were there certain times, uh, was this organized so that people knew that they're, they were painting from Saturday all day or so, I mean what were the times that no people how did that worked happen? at whatever time that they were available see most the of these people character? may have been working a yeah. lot of them had a bit, uh, some of the painters may have been working on jobs mm -hmm. so they would come in the summer in the summer and try to catch as much sunlight as they could that's why it took a certain amount of time mm -hmm. so when what, what months was it started do you remember well we started in the summer in the summer of uh, of 68, I think it was. And you and, finished uh, before winter? We got most of it finished before winter. Mm -hmm. uh, see, even the painting was a, a great experience because people would come to the wall just to watch these people in, uh, in their craft and to try to figure out who the uh, community people would come in and try to figure out who is this painting going to be about? Who is the person on, in this painting? See, the artist didn't tell him who it was going to be. 
and they would try to figure it out as he was paying it. Um, I'm thinking. Uh, well, maybe. Uh, no, that's all right. I've got plenty of questions. Go, did you want to say <laughs> no, something? No, go ahead. Go ahead. No. No, I was just uh, going to say that uh, uh, the impact that it had on the city was tremendous. Uh, when you look at you look, you, that's why history is so important. If you look at what the situation was in terms of black history in the city of St. Louis in the summer of 1968 and what it is today, where you have black studies programs on uh, Wash U and St. Louis U and uh, in the junior colleges, you have, uh, I went into a, uh, a principal's office of a middle school, or one of the uh, administrators, and uh, all around the wall of the office were uh, Malcolm X, uh, Elijah Muhammad, uh, Frederick Douglass, all of these people painting. Now, back during that period, a person would have gotten fired for that. You know, the school system, the school board would not have allowed. I want to. I want to know two things about the community. I want to know what the um, what the reaction was while it was going on, and what the reaction was afterwards. Did you? Uh, were people watching? People were watching all during the painting of the wall. They they were enthralled in the whole situation of number one. Uh, the great art, the great technology, the, the ability of these artists, which was so beautiful just to watch them painting a picture. Was it now, people then, in your community or people in uh, throughout other the areas city. would come down and stand and watch? Yeah, throughout the city. People so you would had come. black and white standing there? Yes. We, well, first of all, Action uh, was an organization with both black and whites in the organization. Mm -hmm. So we always had Action members down there and so on. Uh, but the where it was located was in the black community. And it had the greatest impact, of course, on the black community. Did you have any opposition? Uh, yes. The police department did not like it because they felt that um, at that time, we're talking about back during that time in the late 60s, they felt that this was going to, um, see, there was a lot of radical movements taking place at that time. And when they saw a crowd of blacks showing up, they thought it was going to be uh, develop into some kind of uh, well, not even even worse than that, maybe a riot or something. See, uh, and in fact, the back during that time, they passed an anti-riot law, which we nicknamed the the, the uh, Rap Brown law. We call it a rap because Rap Brown had spoke at a college or something, and uh, at, uh, the next day there was a riot. So there was a federal law passed that uh, if a group of people, more than a certain, uh, if more than three people, I think it was, was on a podium, three people or more were on a podium, and they spoke to a crowd. And that crowd, uh, later there was violence that day or the next day, if there was violence. And within a certain period of time, a 48-hour period or something, if there was violence, then there would be 
the persons who were on the podium would be charged with inciting to riot. See, we call that the Rock Brown Law because it was because of something that had happened d directly related to him that caused that law to get passed. Now, what I'm saying is that atmosphere was there, and of course the police were concerned about that. They were concerned that uh, some that this was going to create some. They didn't see this as being a great educational tool. They saw this as a large gathering of people that might possibly get out of hand. And, uh, and it, we had an incident in which it almost did get out of hand. The incident was that one of the uh, a, a simple accident took place. Two women were driving along. One stopped to look at the wall, and the one and the, the one behind was looking at it at the same time. And she didn't see the other lady stop. She hit her. So she hit her. Now, but it, but it was not a big uh, deal in terms of the accident. But the two people wanted to exchange uh, uh, names. names and so forth. So they stopped the car. The police came, uh, uh, one policeman came along, and he um, came over to assist in this situation. This was a white policeman. He was from the 9th District, I guess. Uh, he was trafficked, probably. And he went over to try to help. And uh, the speaker who was on the podium, see, we had started having speakers would come up and speak to the crowd. The first, the original speeches were just explaining who the people were on the wall. And, and people would give a, a lecture or a speech around that person. They could, we could take an individual up on the wall, Du Bois or anybody up there, and give a whole lecture on that particular person. So that's how it originally started. Now what you had happen was that some people would give their own speech. Well, I was not against that because in Chicago, I think we still have that in Chicago. Uh, we, uh, when I grew up, there was a um, uh, outside meeting place in the park, in Washington Park, where anybody of any philosophy could get up and speak. And I understand that in New York they have one called, uh, they have another uh, place in the park where the people speak. And in London, too. Yes. So we, we have one in Chicago. So when I saw that happening, I thought that was good. Because um, I learned a lot about philosophies and so on myself when I was growing up, and this was a good opportunity. Now, but this fellow uh, saw the policeman, white policeman over there talking to these two black women, and he, made, he took offense to it. And he made some statement about this white policeman bothering these black women. All right, now, the policeman saw all of these people. See, it was a crowd of people. And when he, and this guy was speaking up there, and when he heard this statement, he got uh, frightened. So he went and called for backup. So in a few minutes, the whole area was surrounded with, with squad cars and policemen, and they had automatic weapons and everything, see? Now, and the... Uh, I happened to have interviewed somebody last year, Charles Alphen, mm -hmm. and he said that he was on a detail. Do you know him? I don't know, maybe. Well, he's, he's a captain, and he's involved with the um, Martin Luther King. He's mm -hmm. been in was he around there at that time? Yes, he was a young... 
Yeah. Officer? Uh, no, patrolman. He was a, he was a he was patrolman. patrolman, okay. And his, one of his duties was just to sit in a car, a police car, across yep. the street. And watch the wall. And watch the wall. That's right. And um, he said that... Uh, they, they, they developed on, a special detail. On Saturday nights that there was music mm -hmm. and that it was a real... Yeah, it, it, it was a meeting place, a yes. community meeting mm -hmm. place, and people would see, were it, in this incident that happened, there was mostly just women and yeah. children. People, uh, mothers had brought their children out to see this, and there wasn't any uh, uh, big group of radical people or anything. Mm -hmm. So said it was like a party. Sure. The people were involved. It was a great educational tool. Uh, people would come, and it was, as you say, like a party and enjoy themselves and get education at the same time. So there was no overt? Uh, uh, no, nobody, first of all, there wasn't anybody that had, had any kind of weapon of any kind. No, I mean any overt, yeah, opposition. Uh, uh, there was, well, there wasn't any, uh, it was in the black community, so I wouldn't think that anybody from the white community would come down there, although they could be driving through the community. Uh, now, we did have two things. We had white paint thrown on the wall twice. We had that happen twice. And the, and the artist had to come back and um, uh, and repaint, you know, uh, repair the sections that were. Uh, now, we, the people who lived in the neighborhood uh, contended that this was done by some outsiders who drove by in their car stopped and threw the paint up there and got back in. Um, just for people who were standing around uh, and watching or mm -hmm. listening to the uh, people Speaking. speak, uh, did, did you ever hear comments on, ooh, I like that, or I don't think that looks like him, or, you know, just Kind of oh, sure. like in a museum? Uh, uh, sometimes people would ask you, who is that person? Like the, the uh, one of uh, Malcolm especially is, um, is not a realistic drawing, but it's a, uh, an image in the way that the artist uh, portrayed it. Mm -hmm. And so they may ask you, who is that? And so you tell them that's Malcolm. They say, well, that doesn't really look like Malcolm. Mm -hmm. But then they say, after you look at it for a while, you see that it does. So then we point out to them very simply what I said to you, and that is that the artist had the right to paint the uh, character in whatever style. Um, did you have any, did the media ever come down? Yes, the media came down. It, it was a big, um, it was a big uh, story at first. Um, I'm trying to find right now I was told that the photographer who used to take pictures there, uh, that he moved from, he was blown to the post. He moved to, um, to Washington, D.C. And I'm trying to find if, uh, if the post still has copies. Oh, I'm, I'm sure they would. Uh, uh, what about the, um, any television coverage? Oh, yes. There were, was this during it or after or what? No, first of all, during the time while a wall was being painted, uh, they came down and did a, uh, and then later after all of the wall had been completed. Uh, so. Did you have a ceremony when it was completed, or did it just was it? Well, we in, in, in a way of speaking, we did. We uh, invited 
you know, all the community people. We put out leaflets and everything and had people to come to the first. Uh, but we didn't actually have an unveiling. You couldn't mm -hmm. unveil. Uh, <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Um, now, I, I have a poem here. Okay. That was written about the wall. Okay. This, who is it by? Uh, Eugene Redmond. Eugene Redmond, yes. He's a great artist from this area. And um, would you uh, would you mind reading it? It's okay. I'll try to do justice to Eugene's work. I'm sure you can. Walls usually obstruct, disrupt, hold things up. By the way, there's a, a meaning to that that has to do with the building of the wall. When we first started discussing whether we should have a wall, there was a member who said these exact words, you know, that they didn't see where the wall was going to be uh, something positive, that a wall is always used.